The Diplomacy Dojo is a weekly discussion led by your board brother about diplomacy tactics and strategies. Let's listen in on what our players are discussing this week. So how's it going, Hunter? I'm doing well. You got any topics brought with you today to the Diplomacy Dojo? Um, well, I guess one topic is uh, how to become better at face-to-face diplomacy. I'm not sure if we've both done much of that, though, but we could talk about it. Yeah, because it's a little bit crazy because there's like these 15-minute deadlines and I can hardly talk to anyone. I have to put in my orders. It's just, I don't know. I mean, maybe if I got more practice that I'd improve, but I, I think I'm much better at online diplomacy than face-to-face diplomacy. Okay, well, let's start with these topics then. First topic of discussion is how to be better at face-to-face diplomacy. And it sounds like the first logistical problem you brought up is that compared to online diplomacy, the amount of time that you can put into your turns is very, very small. And so uh, for the benefit of any listeners, an online diplomacy uh, turn generally is set for at least 24 hours, uh, sometimes much longer. And this is usually to account for um, that players are, are playing somewhat asynchronously. They're not all necessarily all playing at the same time of day. They may not even be in the same time zones. So this means that you can put a lot of thought into your moves and a lot of thought into the turn and sometimes significant back and forth with all the other players. And in face-to-face diplomacy, a, a, a reasonable length of time is usually not more than 15 minutes a turn. Otherwise, uh, the, the game could go on more than a day, perhaps. That's not reasonable. Most people are only want to play a board game for three or four hours. Uh, and in a tournament setting that you know, matches have to come to some kind of conclusion. I have personally played some face-to-face diplomacy that is an all-day thing where you say, all right, we're going to start around lunchtime and we're going to go until everybody goes home in the evening, potentially. That's a, that's, that's realistic uh, to play a seven-hour game of face-to-face diplomacy if the players are very good. In terms of how to overcome that difference, uh, I have some practical tips. One is to write down some tentative moves immediately to make sure you're not caught with your pants down at the end of the turn so that you can, on your little piece of paper or whatever you're playing with, okay, I've seen what happens. Maybe even while the judge or whoever is adjudicating the moves for the turn, start brewing up an idea of what your moves are going to be and write those down as your next moves and then erase them and change them with replacement moves if you come up with something better based on your dealings with the other players. This is very helpful because it means if if nothing happens to make you want to change your moves, you can just use the rest of the time to talk to the other players. Sometimes your moves are even pretty obvious, or um, you could spend most of the turn just trying to figure out your moves real quick. So, so writing that down and getting that out of the way so you have something on paper, that can be pretty helpful, uh, especially during the end of the game when there may not be much need to discuss things with other players and you can put a lot of effort into figuring out your moves. The other thing that comes to mind is the short time limit means you're going to play, you're going to figure out your moves a lot more based on intuition or simple suggestions from other players. And you're not going to have a lot of time to play out elaborate scenarios in your mind as to what are the best moves. And so a habit I know that many online diplomacy players pick up is that they spend maybe 20 minutes, maybe an hour just 
thinking through a particular moveset where, okay, I've got all this time just to think it through to come up with the perfect moves. I'm absolutely, I absolutely do this. Um, when I was playing in Media Wars, the game that I, I kept an elaborate video journal about and many other players made similar content, all of us made a, a very interesting examined match. When I uh, was getting to the end game of Media Wars and there was a chance that I could solo win, I resorted to spending maybe an hour or more per turn playing through possible scenarios in a sandbox to make sure that I played flawlessly against the good players who similarly I can count on to spend the same amount of time (laughs) thinking about their moves also playing out every scenario, they're not going to make any mistakes. So I, I'll, it's like it's like a um, an arms race. You know, who's going to plan better and, and think through all the scenarios? And I'll tell you, I've absolutely won online diplomacy games just because I thought things through a little bit better than some of the other players who did not appreciate the significance of some move or whatever. And um, I have also forced draws on players who should have been able to win they should have been able to force a win, but they made a mistake in choosing their moves, and so they got locked into a draw. So in online diplomacy, that's a that's a pretty significant part. And where I'm going with this is you can come to rely on that ability in terms of how the game is going to play out. But when you're when you're in a time sensitive diplomacy game, you can't rely on like the on brute force of just spending a bunch of time. Well, you know, I'm just going to spend an hour and a half. You can't rely on that. Instead, you got to have some intuition as to what are pretty good moves and come up with them on the fly. And that's a different skill. As anybody who has played games like chess and can compare traditional matches of chess, maybe play by mail with speed chess, they can say, ah, yes, you know, the way that the game is played is quite different when you only have so much time to think through your moves and you have to rely on intuition to a certain extent uh, to make your decisions. It's very interesting. And uh, a reason why uh, shortened time diplomacy matches are, are something that's that's unique and worthwhile about playing that way. But that means that you got to develop your skill of thinking quickly. So I have a recommendation, which is to play online diplomacy on a short timer. There are people who play uh, either the 1v1 variants. They'll play live games. It's pretty rare to find a live press online game these days. When I first started playing online diplomacy 10 years ago, you could find an online short press game, an online live press game. But these days, that's probably going to be a gunboat game. Sometimes people call these speedboats, which taking the pun uh, even further, it's a speedboat. You maybe got 15 minutes a turn and you got to play a game of gunboat diplomacy over the course of a couple of hours. And that will force you to think intuitively about your moves because you can't play through every scenario. You just have to think, all right, I know that generally it's a good idea to convoy in this situation, so I'm going to try to do that uh, and hope that it plays out favorably. I know that um, Saren, a recent guest, well, recent at the time of this recording, maybe not necessarily the time of the publication, that uh, that Saren wrote an article for Brotherboard about gunboat stalemate lines and that Saren plays quite a lot a speedboat as it were, and uh, under the short time frames, whether the players have some good common sense or intuitions about setting up stalemate lines makes all the difference as to whether the game is just inevitably going to end in a solo win or whether there's some reasonably chance, some, some reasonable chance of stopping a player who has 
ascended. You know, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of supply centers. Can they be stopped? Well, if players understand how to form stalemate lines, the answer is yes. And so as a similar skill is going to apply to live diplomacy, where, hey, you're not going to have time to look up diagrams of stalemate lines and uh, communicate that. to No, 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 none of that stuff. You have to know. You have to know what those are beforehand and be familiar so that you're thinking about how to either break through a stalemate line if you're trying to win or form one if you're trying to stop someone from winning. And so if you're used to playing a speedy game where you have to rely on intuition, you can't take a break and look things up, you can't think things through in a sandbox for an hour, then the 15-minute turns on face-to-face diplomacy are not as intimidating because you're familiar with how to do these rapid-fire order sets. It is different. Playing a live game under timed conditions is very different for any for any game that's out there. I might even compare the difference to speedruns versus tool-assisted speedruns, if you're familiar with uh, speedrun, speedrunning video games. When they do a tool-assisted run, they're, they're doing frame-by-frame inputs to make sure that the, the an automation is actually playing the game perfectly versus a you know human speedrun, a non-tool-assisted speedrun. The person has to actually enter in all the moves. And it's amazing how close the non-tool-assisted speedruns sometimes get to the tool-assisted speedrun, even though one's being done automatically. And where I'm going with this is that the, those players... Uh, with so much practice, they they learn to play by instinct. You know, by by it's like riding a bicycle or whatever. They understand how to how to do it, and it's possible. It is possible. I'm saying to learn to play diplomacy by instinct to a certain extent, where you can perform almost as good, ninety five percent, ninety nine percent as good under timed conditions as you would with unlimited time, because you've trained your instinct. Uh, to be so close to what it would be if if you were to think through all your moves with a lot of time. For me personally, I actually, when I am playing online diplomacy, when I first assess the board, I often immediately enter in a bunch of orders that I feel are my instinctive orders. Even though maybe I have 24 or 48 hours to put something in, I enter in some instinctive orders and then later try to see whether I've thought of something. Can I think up something that's better than my than what my intuition tells me? I think that by the sheer number of matches I've played, I have an intuition that comes from, not from learned principles, from articles and things even, <laughs> or from thinking things through theoretically, but from something like, hmm, you know, I've seen a, a situation that was kind of like this and... You know, players who, when they moved to Galicia in this situation, that turned out to be a pretty good move. And when they didn't, that turned out, you know, I feel like, you know, I just I kind of remember that. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you why. I'm not, I'm not playing through a gigantic, you know, five levels hypothetical scenario in my mind or in a sandbox. I just kind of remember that. And I'll put that down tentatively. And sometimes I uh, don't find the time. I don't find the time to go back and really think through my moves. And sometimes I do, and I end up picking worse moves. <laughs> my uh, anxiety or something gets the better of me, and I change my moves to something that's worse than what I intuited. So if someone's listening to this conversation and you're thinking, hey, you know, I have no intuitions. I don't even have any good ideas about what my moves should be until I really think them through and I play things out. I'm going to say, 
try to develop that habit because it can serve you well in the long run for many reasons, not just when you're time constrained. Try to hone your instinct by by entering in some moves right off the cuff, you know, just, just without, with no deep thought about it. And then later, if you have time, you can revise those orders based on something you've thought through a little bit better, but at least you can compare. Maybe your instinct is very close to or exactly what you decided to do when you thought things through. And if that's true, hey, maybe your instinct is getting pretty good. That's a way for you to realize that maybe you have better intuition uh, than you appreciate. Because that's the thing about intuition is it's not um, it's not a conscious process. <laughs> to the other point uh, about face-to-face diplomacy, about the conversations not going on so long, there are, there are a lot of practical dimensions to this. You only have so much time to allocate to talking to each player, which means that you probably need to focus on talking to your neighbors right away. So let's say that you're Turkey you probably don't really have much time to spend talking to France, Germany, or England. Like it's, it's in, the, in the beginning of the game, that's barely worth your time. That's tough because, you know, play by mail or, or online play, the advice is often to the contrary, which is, hey, don't overlook relationships with distant powers. You may really need that or that can pay off in the long run and, and players inappropriately focus all their attention on their neighbors. But in a short time game, that's a little more justified or um, that's a lot more justified. It's a lot more justified uh, to spend your time focusing on your relationships with your neighbors. Also, let me add this in there, that face-to-face games are are not necessarily played to the bitter end. Like tournaments usually have some kind of time limit. So the odds that you're going to come into contact with distant powers who you don't neighbor is pretty slim. Like let's say you're, again, go back to the Turkey example. Yeah, and a lot of, if the tournament says, oh, the whole game's over in 19, 19- Okay, you're never going to be capturing like Spain or something like that. Like that's just not happening. You're you're if you if you win this match, quote unquote win, it'll be because you got to I don't know, whatever, 13 supply centers and topped the board. So the odds of you interacting with the three western powers is is extremely minimal. I'm not saying it will never happen, but in my experience, the way that the game is played is significantly changed not just by the turn time limits but also by the match turn limits. Uh, I think those those often go hand in hand. If you if you really are playing a game to the bitter end, uh, either in a tournament that allows that, or it's just a you know an arranged game that you set up, then um, in that case, what you'll do is as players get closer to elimination, you may spend less time talking to them and then start developing your relationships with the more distant players as the game develops. There's not a lot you can do, and that can sometimes lead to. Um, the dangerous situation where you have two distant rivals who are working together really well, they have a tight alliance, and you're and you're thinking, hey, you know, I'll get one of them to betray the other wrong because they're neighbors, but they have no relationship with you because there just wasn't enough time. And so counting on those players to prefer you, a natural ally, over their neighbor which is something that's a very reliable strategy in online diplomacy where you, your relationship can be just as developed with any power regardless of distance. That's maybe not as reliable in a face-to-face situation where two two people who've been chumming it up for the last two hours talking constantly are probably, you know, just on some human level not interested in stabbing each other in favor of you who they've not really been hanging out with that game. That that kind of stuff enters into any diplomacy match. 
but I think is significantly increased in face-to-face diplomacy where you have to look that person in the eye when you stab them in the back. Um, Something else that I think is interesting. I've actually played a few online games on play diplomacy, but it's it's not face-to-face even though it's a live game. I actually, I've actually done better than those. I mean, so I think maybe I'm better at, my communication is better when I'm writing than when I'm speaking. That's possible. What do you think makes the difference? Um, well, I guess, I guess I, I don't know. Well, I mean, right now, you know, I'm speaking and I'm getting like a little nervous. I'm kind of thinking about what I want to say. <laughs> you become self-conscious. Yeah, whereas if I'm writing it, I can just, you know, think about it, you know, more clearly. That makes sense. In my personal life, just talking about the skills of communication, such as writing and speaking, uh, I don't think that the skills go hand in hand. Uh, Someone can be an excellent writer and be almost unbearable to listen to. And there are people who are excellent speakers who can't really string words together (laughs) when it comes time to write something down. So going back to what I said for me personally, in my life, I have put effort into developing both those skills considerable effort, just trying to learn how to be a better speaker, uh, putting myself out there. Obviously, hey, I've got this podcast now. I'm comfortable speaking. I'll say that I wasn't necessarily born that way. That's something that took me a long time to develop. And it, there's so many factors that get, that go into being comfortable to talking with people quickly, you know, skills about how to be polite and respectful skills about speaking style and being easy to understand, which can come from, man, oh, I mean, get, go, going into the, the specifics of, of how, to, how to be a, a better oral communicator. There are things like you want for your speech to be clear and comprehensible. And some people, they may have a tendency to speak too softly or mumble, or uh, maybe they... English, uh, they learned a dialect that people aren't that familiar with. You know, oh, I'm talking about every time, no diplomacy. You know, these people, huh, what? You know, that's, that's I mean, that's a perfectly fine way to speak. I, I, I enjoy listening to people that speak different dialects. But learning to speak in a way that most English speakers can easily understand is a big advantage. They don't have to think hard about what you're saying. I, I think in terms of the content of your speech, it is beneficial to learn to communicate in a manner that matches the other person's expectations. And this means relying on general words and sentence structure that most people are familiar with and would understand. The kind of the ways that you hear people speaking in movies or on the news that are meant for a really general audience, it's going to be comprehensible to the other person, no matter their frame of reference. And to be careful not to use, not to use terminology or phrases that are not familiar to most people, and they may be confused about what you're trying to say, and that, that gums up the communication. But on the other hand, if there's jargon that you know the other person is going to know, or you can reasonably anticipate that they will know it, uh, then that speeds up things considerably. So in diplomacy, for example, if you say something like, hey, I think there's a juggernaut, I really really think we need to do something about that. The other person probably knows, if they're at a diplomacy tournament, you know, they they probably know uh, what you mean when you say juggernaut. But if you're playing with some friends who are maybe haven't played diplomacy very much, 
that might actually do more harm than good because now you're spending time defining juggernaut when you could have just said uh, Russia-Turkey alliance or something like that. So uh, being judicious about when to use uh, special terminology and when not to use it, I think, goes a long way in having expeditious communication. I'll tell a little a story that's a digression. Have you ever heard of Blizzard's game Warcraft 3? Uh, yeah, I've heard of that. I played that. Okay. That was a, a favorite of mine for... For many years, I played that game uh, all the time when I was a teenager. For the benefit of listeners, I think that game came out maybe 2002 or 2003, something like that. It preceded World of Warcraft, so that's that's how old the game is. It's made a bit of a comeback recently as a nostalgia game, which is kind of neat. Well, anyway, Warcraft 3, when I played that game, that was before voice over internet was very common. That was kind of a novelty that you could play a game and speak to other people while you were playing them. And most online games at that time, you played by communicating in written messages. And I sometimes enjoyed playing this game, Warcraft 3, which is a, a real-time strategy game, similar to StarCraft or any of these other games like that. Um, play games with allies that are that you're working together, but you have to type written messages. So <laughs> if you know anything about real-time strategy games, you may know that you're you're clicking and t- hitting keys. You're going so fast. The amount of inputs that are needed to play this game well is, is very, very high. Oh, comical almost. It, it's, it's, a, it's an entry barrier to some people who might otherwise think that kind of game looks kind of neat. Um, but at the same time, you had to chat with the, with the other player who you're working with uh, and, and talk to them about what your strategy is or where you're going to go. And so um, a, a, a form of communication developed where the players could say entire strategies in two or three letters <laughs> that they would get abbreviated so dense because you're trying to play the game and communicate it at the same time. So, and I, well, I don't know, let's say that when, uh, when your bored brother was 13 years old, I was pretty good at typing with, you know, with just my left hand, these extremely dense messages that looked like the most nightmare scenario, abbreviated text message, IDK, my BFF, Jill, you know, those kind of messages. What the comparison here is, that in a time-sensitive situation, if you're playing with high-quality players or like players who are very experienced and know this jargon, then use, going heavy on diplomacy jargon to communicate your ideas can be really helpful. That can speed things up quite a bit. As you say, like, hey, you want to play like, you know, France-England Alliance? Yep. You know, hey, do you know this opening? Yep, I do. Okay, let's do that opening. So then instead of having to discuss every single piece and how they're going to move and hashing that out, you can just both agree to make that opening and keep moving. That kind of stuff can be really helpful in giving you enough time in the turn to be able to communicate with one player and move on to communicating with the next. But um, I I guess I have this caveat, this heavy caveat with the advice that that only works if the other players know what you're trying to say. If you're playing with your friends who have not played diplomacy before, that's uh, I strongly advise against it, and instead just talk in plain language, slow as it may be. Have any thoughts on that, Hunter? I think I think maybe I just need to learn more about thinking fast, thinking more quickly. Uh, that, I I think that can help. Uh, learning to to think quickly is its own skill. It's a separate skill from learning to think deeply and or or, or intelligently. But learning to think quickly and still be being reasonable, it's not a skill that everyone has. 
This episode was made possible by the generous support of people like you. For more information, visit patreon.com slash brotherboard. You can learn more from your board brother at brotherboard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe, share, and review. Thanks to Loyalty Freak Music for the theme music, It Feels Good to Be Alive too.